going okay for you so far. Um, I don't know, and I think this is maybe one of those things that breaks down uh, between the genders. And I could be wrong. No stereotypes. Not intentional here. But I think guys tend to hold on th- to things they shouldn't for longer uh, than women do. So, so let me give you an example. Like, uh, for example, a uh, pair of jeans that you find particularly comfortable, and you wear them and wear them and wear them till the point that those threads are holding on to one another for dear life, you know, and your wife is embarrassed to go out in public with you. I don't speak from experience, but I've heard stories, you know. Um, or maybe it's a t-shirt that just, you know, it fit well in college when you were young and trim, but you still wear it when you go out, and it's just, you know, the t-shirt is screaming, it's, it's not working anymore. And some things just wear out. They have to be retired. They have to be let go. I had a pair of shorts, and just shorts, just, you know, regular old shorts that my wife gave me an ultimatum. It was me or the shorts, she told me. Like, these shorts have to go. I will not be seen with you in public with these shorts. And so, uh, I still have the shorts. Sorry, Karine. No, I don't know. I think she hit them or threw them away. I don't know exactly what happened. But, but everything wears out. Everything dies down. I mean, we do live in a society where things, that happens a little more quickly. Uh, but everything wears out eventually. Everything's gone eventually. Um, it's the inevitability of death, right? You know, whether it applies to t-shirts or, or shorts or jeans or whatever, just everything eventually wears out. And I know some of you have in your junk drawers at home, you have stuff that was valuable at one time. You bought that Palm Pilot or you got it for Father's Day and you were like, this is going to revolutionize my life. And now, you know, 10 years later, it's sitting in the junk drawer because nobody will pay a dime for it because you just, you know, it wore out. The technology has passed us by. It's all gone. We're in a series called The Kingdom, and I want to explain a little bit about what that's about, but I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16, and verse 18. So if you haven't been with us, uh, or if you just need a refresher, this is what we've been doing. We've been looking at this single passage of Scripture in the Bible uh, where Jesus kind of does this pivot a little bit. You know, his ministry has been going one way. He's been telling people about this kingdom. He's been explaining what life in the kingdom is like. And what he was talking about was a new way of life for his people, for people that wanted to be like him, for people that wanted to follow him. But here in Matthew 16 is this important transition where he says, okay, now this is happening. Like I've been telling you it's coming and now it's about here and you need to know a few details about what life in the kingdom is like. So we've been talking about what it meant two weeks ago. We talked about what it meant to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. You hear that term around church, but what does that mean? Uh, Last week, Jordan talked about the idea that Peter acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, but that insight came from God. Like God inspired Peter to know this, and God still inspires us today uh, in ways beyond ourselves. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is what he says to Peter right along following God. God revealed this to you. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. Oh, thanks, God. I appreciate you telling me who I am. Now, some of you may not know Peter was actually a nickname that Jesus gave him. I tell you, and he gave him this, you know, cute little nickname, means the rock. I tell you, you are Peter. And he says, and on this rock, interesting wordplay we wouldn't get because we don't speak the language, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I want to establish a couple terms real quickly. If you've come to church for a long time, this is probably not going to be news, but I think it's important that we understand that we're all on the same page. So first of all, just real quick, move right past this, but the word church, we know that, right? It's got a lot of baggage now, but the idea of church or the word church 
doesn't mean this building. It doesn't mean like, like the organization that we think of it. But it means this following, this gathering of people, this movement of people that, that are surrounded or that are organized around a belief. Well, we know that, right? Um, if you grew up in a certain era, you know this phrase, you can't go to church, you... Yeah, you guys know that because we are the church and so people will say things like, I'm going to church and then some smart ass will be like, you can't go to church and you'll be like, you don't say shut up, but you would think that and you'd be like, I've heard that a million times. We know that, right? We've heard that idea that it's not, it's not a building, it's not a whatever, it's an organization, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gathering, a following of people. So we in this room are the church in that sense. We are gathered together. We're trying to live our lives around Jesus. We're trying to be his disciples. And we, as a group of people, do that. That's what the church is. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my following. I'm going to build my gathering. I'm going to build this group of people that's trying to follow me and be like me. And this, this group of people is going to be, continue to do what I've been doing in the world. Continue to bring this restoration and this redemption to the world. That's us. Now, this next phrase is pretty cool. Next phrase is Gates of Hades. This sounds like an 80s metal band. <laughs> sounds like music my mom wouldn't let me listen to when I was 14 years old. The Gates of Hades. Now, it is an intense phrase. It's a cool phrase in the Bible. And it is so cool and so intense that it has spawned a lot of pretty creative theology. Uh, you, if you do just a little bit of research on this phrase, you'll find people that just spin off into the stratosphere with what this means, the gates of Hades. But it turns out it's not that difficult. It's, a, it's an idiom. It's an idiom for death, which we have lots of in English, right? We have idioms for death, some of which are respectful when we want to try to like be really cautious with somebody's feelings and we want to be very careful how we talk about death. We will say the term, they have passed on, right? That's what we'll say, they passed on or they passed away. If we're not being so cautious, we'll say they kicked the bucket. We'll say they bought the farm. We'll say they're pushing up daisies. Literally, there are hundreds of euphemisms for death in the English language because we don't like directly addressing death. We've got to figure out different ways to talk about it, and these ways seem a little bit easier. But just like in English, other languages has, have idioms for death as well. And one of these idioms in the Hebrew language was the gates of Hades, the gates of the underworld. And everybody's heading to the gates of Hades. It's inevitable. We're all on this journey. And guess what? Everybody has to pass through the gates of Hades Everything decays, everything wears down, everything experiences entropy, everything dies. Let's do our closing song now. Like, let's go home, right? It's cheery thoughts. But that's the idea that, that everything wears down. Your favorite shirt is going to wear out. Your favorite pair of jeans, your favorite shoes, your favorite shorts that you like to embarrass your wife in. Everything is going to eventually wear down. Everything does. And Jesus is saying, like he's telling us, like, However, there's this one exception. This gathering of people, this group of people, this following of people, this will never experience that. This will never experience the inevitability of decay and death. This organization, this following, this gathering is never going to wear out. It's never going to be wiped out. It's never going to die. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's good stuff. 
Now, it's got this phrase, is a good phrase, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Any, uh, uh, any of you fans of Lord of the Rings, you'll remember this particular scene where Gandalf is fighting this monster, some goofy, crazy CGI monster, and he's on this bridge, and the monster's coming, and Gandalf says, you shall not pass, right? Now, I don't know that Jesus was doing that, but it feels like that when he says that. He says, and you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the apostles, I'm sure, were like, Woo! Go, Jesus! Woo! They were all pumped up and excited. This was a moment. This was exciting. This was, this was the, the initiation. Remember, we talked a couple weeks ago. This was a rebellion, and Jesus was the head of this rebellion. He was going to declare himself king, and everybody was following him. They were excited. This thing isn't going to wear out. And the reason he said this, because in that moment... Everything's, everybody's excited, everybody's in. Peter's like wound up. Let's go, Jesus. We got this. You know, Bartholomew's cheering and uh, Tim, all these guys are so excited. They're all wound up. They're all excited. They're all super into this. But the reason Jesus said this is because times were coming that were going to make them question that idea. There were times coming when they were going to wonder like, I don't know, maybe the church has worn out. Maybe the church has run its course. Maybe it's time for something different. We gave it a chance and it's, it's not working. Maybe this is something that we need to, to readdress and we need to change. I want to make a couple observations about this passage in Matthew. And I think, I think you will find this incredibly encouraging about who you are, about the way you invest in this group, this thing, this movement called the church. But first, we have to talk about VHS tapes. 1977 was when they kind of popularly came into existence. The VHS tapes. You guys remember those? You can go to the next slide if you want. VHS tapes there in the corner. You guys remember those, right? Big set looking tapes. Uh, and they were awesome, right? You know, you could fast forward, rewind. You could watch movies in your home. I remember when I was a kid, they came out in 1977, which is the year I was born, if you want to do a little mental math as to how old I am. Uh, but they came out in 1977, but, you know, they, not every house had them. And I remember when I was a kid, six, seven years old, and we would rent a, a VCR player from the video store and that was a big deal and you put that in there and you could watch the movie and it was just this amazing thing this amazing technology and then of course came DVDs and those of you that had built up your VHS collection you were like no DVDs no and you got the combo thing that played the DVDs and played uh, the, the VHS for a while and then you were like this is great and you started building up your DVD connect, c c collection sorry uh, you replace some of your VHS movies with DVD movies. And then Netflix came out and you're like, no, no, I can't keep up. It's too much. Um, some of you still have your VHS collection and your DVD collection. And some of you like go to garage sales to look up for old VCR players. And you're like, yes, score. Because you're thinking, hey, someday when Armageddon hits, and the asteroid bombs the internet into oblivion, I'll still be able to watch movies, and you'll still be there looking like a chump trying to watch Netflix on an internet that doesn't work. You're just planning for the future. I know, I get you, I get you. So we've got Netflix, and Netflix is doing its thing now, and lots of people, you, you, we stream media, and I'm, you know, we don't buy things anymore. But a lot of you have, have, have had this. What about uh, this other picture over here in the corner? Anybody remember what that was? The pager? I remember being a teenager and a friend of mine had a pager and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. People could call them and page them and they could see that somebody called them and then they could go to a payphone and call them back. And you were like, whoa, this modern world is moving too fast. And it was amazing. I thought that was so cool. And then 
I didn't even have time to get a pager before pagers were outdated. They're gone. Then we had phones, and the phones were like, hey, the phones started off like this. We're like, cool, that's awesome. I love that phone. And and then they got bigger, and then we're like, oh, let's make them smaller. And then they got bigger again, and now the bigger the better. It's just like it moves so fast. All of this, all of this, we got the floppy disks over here. How many, these are the small, cool, modern floppy disks. How, How many of you remember the bigger ones, the floppier floppy disks? Yeah, yeah. All this stuff, like, and then, of course, the cassette tapes. Now, some of you, I know, you're like, you know what? It's all coming back around, full circle. It's all coming back. I just got all that in my attic because someday it's all going to be so valuable, and I'm going to be a millionaire, and you guys are going to be so upset that you gave all your stuff to goodwill, but I'm going to be looking good. Let it go. <laughs> and the immortal words of the movie Frozen. It's, it, it's all worn out. All that has happened in my lifetime, my short little lifetime. I'm just a young man, and all that has happened in my lifetime. It's so quick. It changes so quick. For hundreds of years, people have been telling us, and and I'm not making this up. I'm not making it up to make a a point, but people have been telling us that the, uh, the age of Christianity, the age of the church is over. It's done. We tried it. It worked okay for a while, but it just brought us things like the Crusades and and heartache and trouble and it was used to manipulate and 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 we got the inquisition and the age of christianity is over the age of church is over it's done for before nietzsche said god is dead he got that idea from somebody a hundred years earlier who said it's over god is dead the whole idea of religion and christianity is done it's gone a hundred years ago 200 years ago they said that Time Magazine ran, ran a front page, full cover article saying, asking the question, is God dead? 50 years ago. But you know what? The church just keeps on ticking. 200 years ago, it's over. 100 years ago, it's over. 50 years ago, it's over. But the church is still here. But now, wait a second, there's new research. The Pew Research Poll group tells us, National Geographic has done studies. The rise, have you heard this phrase? The rise of the nuns, not the habits, you know, Catholic, but the rise of the nuns, people who when they mark down their religious affiliation, they mark down nun, N-O-N-E, the rise of the nuns. What is your religion? None. And this is, if you consider no religion as a category of religion, this is the second largest religion in the United States of America. Oh, you know what? I guess maybe, maybe Nietzsche was wrong, maybe Time Magazine was wrong, but now, today, the age of the church is over. The, the generation these days, these young kids, they just don't get it. They just don't value the things that we valued. It looks pretty grim. It looks pretty bad. Second largest religious group is people with no religious in, I, affiliation. People say that, I kind of like Jesus. I don't like the church. You turn on the TV, the country's a mess. And a lot of these people are proclaiming their, their hatred and their racism based on some sort of religious Christian worldview. It's crazy. Well, maybe the church is over. Maybe it was an experiment that lasted a couple hundred years and now it's done. Let's move on. What's the next thing? What's the DVD version of church? What's the uh, digital version of church? What's the Netflix version? It's, we got to move on. Church is, church is, a, is an irrelevant, out-of-date, past idea. But you know what, church? <laughs> Somebody forgets to tell the church that it's supposed to be done because the church is still here. And the church is going to keep on ticking. And as much of you who live in worry and fear, like, oh, no, it's dying. You know what's going to happen? It's going to still be here after you're dead, long after you're dead. Your kids are going to carry it on. Your grandkids are going to carry it on. Well, maybe not yours, but others. Somebody's going to carry it on because Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. It's not up to us. 
It's not up to the millennials. It's not up to the nuns. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the inevitability of death, the inevitability of decay and deterioration will not overcome it. That's good news. That's good news. What? Well, I don't know. The church seems irrelevant. Hey, listen, the church has to change. The church has to update. The church has to make. But the church has always had to do that. The church has always had to do that. Hundreds of years ago, we were singing Gregorian chants, you know? Jordan would love to sing those again, but the church has to update. We have to change. We have to do things a little differently. We have the song, the, the words up here now. We have the Bible verses up here now. A lot of you have a, a Bible on your phone. Things change, things update. But you know what? The church that Jesus is still continuing to build will never wear out. It will never die out. It will never, the gates of Hades will never prevail. That's good news. If we were more excited, church, we'd be standing and clapping right now because that is good news. And I, and I think, uh, let me tell you this story. Uh, let, let me just say this. Despite everything, the church will always be just fine. It will. And I know some of you are like, nope, it's not, it's not. It's going to be, things are going to go, nope, just read your Bible. You have to argue with Jesus about this stuff. A month or so after uh, September 11th, 2001, um, People were a little on edge, and rightly so. I lived in Iowa at the time and worked at a, a small, small town church in Iowa. And uh, it was Sunday evening. I may have told some of you the story before, but it was Sunday evening. And uh, outside the church building, there came like a loud popping sound and a flash of light people could see coming through the windows. This is in Centerville, Iowa, down near the Missouri border. Loud light, light coming in, loud flash, light coming in through the windows. So, of course, the natural conclusion was is we were being attacked. Like, our church was being attacked. Small town I was being attacked. Um, so, one of the sweet, dear old ladies who had been up every night watching news till she fell asleep, I'm sure, was convinced this was it. And during the preacher, I was, it was a guest preacher preaching. I was sitting in the, in the audience. During the sermon, the, she heard that explosion. She popped up, and she's like, yelled, we're being bombed, and ran outside of the church building. Now, everybody else wasn't sure what was happening, so they watched this lady run out, but they're like, I don't know, do we, what's ha- are we being bombed? Maybe we're the next target. Maybe Centerville, Iowa is next on the hit list. I don't know what's happening. Well, it turns out that a neighbor across the street was burning a pile of leaves, and in his raking, he had somehow accidentally got an aerosol can in this pile. He didn't know it, so he's burning the leaves. Aerosol can blows up, creates a loud noise and a flash of light. Turns out, not terrorists, but what's I, funny, I guess. I don't know if this is funny or not. But it's hard to come back into the building after you've run out screaming from terrorists. So she kind of walks back in, you know, like slowly, like, okay, carry on, false alarm. Let's just keep going, you know. It's, it's funny now. When we react to every report or every criticism or every idea that the church is irrelevant or the church is in decline, or the church is in demise, we're freaking out over a neighbor burning aerosol cans because our Savior, Jesus Christ, has committed to us. And if we believe Him, that the church will never see decay. The church will never be overrun. In fact, He describes it as a mustard seed that is this small plant and grows and grows and grows and grows and eventually cover, like birds come and live in this tree. That's how He describes it. He doesn't describe it as this tree that grows and then dies and then grows it. No, it's growing and it's God, it's Jesus doing that for us. All right, church is going to be fine. That's great. That's wonderful. But I think we need to switch just real quickly to uh, uh, 
our day-to-day operations. Like maybe big church, right? That's fine. But what about like, like following Jesus, my life, my individual stuff? What about that? Um, I don't mean to have so much ancient technology. I got another picture here I want to show you, but I'm going to use this as an illustration too. And, and I, maybe I'm just in the, in the zone here. But um, this, this is, of course, an old desktop PC. And kids today will never know the struggle. Like, like, you know, I know my generation said we had to, or my generation, the generation above me, my grandparents, parents, grandparents said we had to walk uphill both ways to school, right? All that kind of stuff, you know, in the snow. Shoes were made of barbed wire, the stuff like that. You've heard stuff like that. And uh, my generation is going to be like to the next kid. You guys don't have any idea. We had to use PC desktops to do our homework. You guys don't know the struggle. You don't know how hard it is. Now, some of you are like, ah, it's no big deal. What's wrong with carrying a, you know, a 500-pound computer, you know, whatever. I mean, some of you still have one of these too, don't you? Same people that have the VHS tapes in your attic. Same people. But you don't know the struggle. Here's why this was such a struggle. Because how many, I, I don't raise your hands, uh, because I know this brings back painful memories. But uh, maybe back in the late 90s, uh, mid, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, you would be happily typing away on your computer. You'd be working on a homework or a school project. Maybe you'd be working on something for work. Typing away, you got this report, 5,000 word report, I don't know, 5,000 word essay. And you'd be typing away and you're like, wow, this is good stuff. I'm just like, the spirit of God has just infused me to, to fill out this report and this is awesome and I'm doing incredible. And then at word 4,999, all of a sudden your keyboard becomes unresponsive. How many of you remember this? And you're like, uh, wait, huh? And the cursor stops blinking. And you're like, oh, that's weird. What's wrong? And then this horror of realization just courses through your body. You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, oh, no. The computer froze. And you were in the zone. And you forgot to click save. And 4,999 words of your work is Weeping and gnashing of teeth. How many of you have been violent with your computer when something like that happens? You need to work, you stupid piece of equipment. Don't say those words. Um, but, the, but we've all been there. We've experienced that feeling of like, oh no. When you call your buddy, you're like, who, can you help me? Can, is there any way this can be redeemed? Can something happen? When Jordan first moved here, uh, not very long after he moved here, he had all of his material on a backup hard drive. Good job backing it up. And the backup hard drive failed. And Jordan had that like, like years worth of work that Jordan lost, years worth of work. I was talking, I was asking some of the, uh, well, let me say this. I've worked on a couple sermons uh, back in the day when they didn't have, you guys don't know, autosave. Wow. But back in the day when I couldn't, you know, when I would forget to save my work, my sermons, you know, it'd be like, you know, Friday morning, finishing up my sermon, the computer would freeze and I'd be like, no. And I would just assume God was saying, Patrick, this sermon does not need to see light of day. It's, God was doing some like editing on my sermon, like you got to go a different direction. I was talking to some of the youth group kids about like, what, what is that feeling for you? Like you don't have that same thing because we have better computers now. And they said when they study for a test and they and study and study and study and still fail the test, it feels like that. When you put in a ton of time and effort and energy and you still fail, you're like thinking, I could have done no study and gotten the same score. Like that would have saved me so much time. But there's something awful about investing a ton of time of energy into something that doesn't work out. And I think when we start wondering, like, is the church going to decline? Is the church going to become irrelevant? Is the church going to 
experience decay, we start asking ourselves that question, is it worth investing in this thing that is not going to continue to work out? And that's the worry we have when we start to buy into these Pew Research polls and this National Geographic stuff. When we start wondering, like, the gener- we're one generation from, from losing it. And maybe in America things are shifting, things are changing. I certainly think that's true. Worldwide, that's certainly not true. Man, Christianity is exploding in places. Uh, but maybe we should do some work. When I hear that the, the rise of the, the, the second largest group I- in America is unaffiliated, has no religion... Does that not get you a little excited? Because you've got a bunch of people you can talk to now. You've got a bunch of people you can interact with. You've got a bunch of people you can invite to disciple groups. You've got a bunch of people that you can invite to church. You've got a bunch of people that you can like, share your faith with now that don't have something like, I'm good, I already, I'm already inoculated, I already got my thing. You've got a bunch of people who don't have their thing. God is opening up a mission field to us, and we've got to take advantage of that. But I know sometimes we get this feeling like, man, why would I invest in something that is fading away? And maybe it's not so much those big broad things, but maybe you feel like just the day-to-day church stuff or church life stuff, the day-to-day Christianity. Maybe you've tried praying and you still feel worried after spending days in prayer. Maybe you've tried forgiving that person and you still feel bitter. Maybe you've tried sharing your faith, but you just keep getting shot down. Maybe you've tried showing love and grace and it doesn't affect them. It doesn't change them. It doesn't change who they are. And you're like, this is not working. I'm investing and investing and investing, but it's like I'm typing on a computer that's frozen. Why would I keep doing this thing that doesn't work? That's irrelevant. That is not functioning anymore. Why would I keep studying for a test that I already failed? And I think we do wonder, is our faith defective? And we feel like hitting it on the, you know, is there a way to like jiggle it just right? Or look at, how can I get my faith to work? Because I've done these things and it is not working. Is my faith defective? And here's the thing. And I think this is something we do not talk about often enough in the church. This is, the, this is important. Discouragement is normal. Discouragement is normal. If you are experiencing discouragement as a result of trying to live out your faith in the world, welcome to the club. Discouragement is normal. It is not win after win after win. Every shot isn't a make. Every throw isn't a touchdown. Discouragement is normal. And this thread of truth is seen throughout Scripture all the way back to when you see Jesus saying, hey guys, I want you to know something about the church the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Because, and he didn't say this, but I know he was, I believe he was thinking it, there are going to come a time where you think that, that maybe it's the gates of Hades, death, decay is prevailing. You're going to feel like that, and I want you to know that's not true. Discouragement is normal. As a direct, listen, as a direct result of following Jesus, there will be times where it feels like it is not working. I know, I know if you're honest, you've been there. I've been there, am there. There's times where it feels like it isn't working. Why continue doing something that doesn't work? Why continue doing it? You're going to teach kids classes down the hall, and it'll seem like none of them are paying any attention to you whatsoever. You're going to talk to a neighbor, and they're not going to be interested. You're going to express generosity. You're going to give. You're going to be generous to someone, and they're going to be completely ungrateful about it. They're even going to feel entitled as if you owe it to them. And you're going to be like, well, that's, I don't want to do that anymore. You're going to show mercy to people and they're not going to change. You're going to put time and energy into doing the right thing and you're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels. That is true. We like to highlight spiritual successes and, and we do a lot at church. That's one of the things we want to do intentionally. We want to highlight 
individual spiritual successes at church. But it maybe gives you the impression that everybody's always on the mountaintop. And that's not true. We don't come up and highlight people who are discouraged. Like, come up and people are saying, I'm really struggling with my faith right now. I don't know. It's tough. I'm not sure what I think. I'm not sure what I believe. It's been hard circumstances. We don't bring those people up. And maybe we should to help people understand that, that discouragement is normal. Um, there's so many verses we could point to, but let me just show you a verse in 2 Timothy 1.15. I love this. Um, this is, to me, so interesting. This is Paul writing. This is, a lot of scholars think this is the last thing he wrote, one of the last things he wrote in his life. And he says, you know that everyone, this is to a guy named Timothy, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. Everyone. Now, Phygelius, uh, who knows if I'm pronouncing this right, right? You can pronounce them however you want. But Phygelius and Hermogenes. Now, imagine if you were like, hey, Phygelius, Hermogenes, I got, I got good news and I got bad news. Oh, what's the good news? Your names are going to be in the Bible forever. What's the bad news? Well, <laughs> uh, we'll just read what Paul had to write, you know. In second, I don't have these verses up, but 2 Timothy 4.10 Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. 2 Timothy 4.16. This is all the same book, folks. At my first defense, everyone deserted me. Do you hear in Paul's letter a tone of discouragement? Do you hear a little, like, man, disappointment? Like, I've been putting work and effort. These are guys that I have mentored, that I have taught, that I have been faithful to, and they are deserting me. Nobody, I don't know, maybe nobody's highlighting those verses right now. Like, oh, cool, yeah. Those two guys deserted Paul. That's awesome. Jesus anticipated us feeling like faith wasn't working, like church life wasn't working. And I believe his followers, I believe people like Paul, I believe people like Peter, people like the other disciples, looked back on what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, and took hope. Like the gates of Hades, the inevitability of death, will not overcome this. And I want to say this, and I want to wrap up by saying this. Everything we do for the kingdom, everything we do for the church, Everything we do because we follow Jesus, and this is important, everything we do because of Jesus being the Messiah, everything we do for the church, this gathering, not this just the institution, I want to kind of, not that those are different, but I want to separate those ideas, ideas. Everything we do because we love Jesus and we want to see this truth go out in the world, everything we do will always be worth it. Even if you're not seeing the results, even in your lifetime, it will always be worth it, everything you do. I want to read uh, a quote that I, re I read this week that I love by an author by the name of N.T. Wright. And he says this. He says, Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care, of nurture, of comfort, and of support, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. Everything you do following Jesus, it matters. It matters eternally. And even if you can't see that direct result, it still matters. So here's what you do when it feels like it's not working. Here's what you do. You ready? You keep working. When it seems like doing the right thing isn't working, keep doing it. Well, why? It's not getting me anywhere. I've offered forgiveness to them and they don't change. Keep forgiving. 
I, I've offered love to them and they haven't reciprocated. They haven't shown me anything back. Keep loving. I've granted mercy and I, nothing. They don't even act like I'm giving up anything. Keep showing mercy. I've given money. I've been generous to them. I've helped them along the way and nothing. It doesn't feel like anything's changing. Keep showing generosity. When it doesn't feel like it's working, keep working. Because this is true. Jesus is building his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And everything you do to invest in this eternal kingdom will be worth it. It will matter. It will have an effect and it will last forever. That's good news. That's good news. There's so much more I'd love to say about this, but we just, we just don't have the time. But death, decay, irrelevance will never overcome the church. That is good news. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful to be a part of this institution, Lord. And we know that our little gathering of people is not perfect. We know we could list flaws. We know we could list problems. We know we could see uh, issues and things that need to be changed and revitalized. But Lord, I pray that you would help us see the bigger picture. Help us see that you are building this church and we need to get out of the way. We need to lend a hand where we can, Lord. Help us to see that. And help us know that investing in what you're doing in the world, investing in the kingdom, that it will always be worth it. It will always matter. Lord, I pray that that truth of Matthew 16, 18 will sink deeply into our hearts today. That you are building your church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.